0: For the first time in over a month, the Leafs are basically 500 since our last episode. Uh, so there is one looming question that we have to answer here, first and foremost, fellas. Uh, what do you think of the new Justin Bieber song? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, uh, I thought it was funny that the guys on, on TSN radio thought that it was an actual... Justin Bieber, like real song, real music video.
0: Yeah, you can imagine his fan base firing up that YouTube video and just being so confused where Justin is the whole time. And then he's—I think he's in that for like two seconds, maybe—and then it's just all Leafs clips. Uh, okay, no, seriously. Yeah, here, here's the question: Andy Dalton, what the fuck? <laughs> Another year of pain for Chicago Bears quarterback situation. <laughs> Jesus, what? Uh, listen, I could have, could have got behind it last year. It's just amazing that these guys were being allowed to make this decision again, and this is, this was the grand thing that they settled on.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it, we can we can talk about how happy it is in Bills Nation right? or sorry, Bills Mafia or whatever you guys call yeah, it yourselves. Get it right,
0: Bills
2: Mafia. Somebody, somebody gets to be happy. Yeah, we got lots to happy be happy about with our off season so far. So, uh,
0: oh, okay, seriously, uh, are either of you? Really worried about the Leafs right now. Actually worried at all. What's um how are we feeling here? I,
2: I'm honestly not that concerned. We've talked about it a lot, like in our in our group chat. It just feels different this year, and even like the, the last couple of games certainly didn't look that great. But even the ones prior to that, like the Vancouver series and the first couple of games against Winnipeg, the Leafs still kind of controlled those games and they kind of got goalied which I'm sure we'll get to shortly but they're still battling to the end of these games they're generating chances even on nights where like they just don't have it they're not in sync not connecting on passes and things like that. It just has a different feel. I'm really not that bothered, even though they've lost five of their last six. I, I still have a lot of faith in this group, and, and I think they're
1: they're primed to turn it around real soon. Yeah, exactly. I'm I'm not I'm not overly concerned. It's it's winning is obviously better, um, but it, and I I hate kind of like you know taking solace in a loss and and saying it was you know a, a good loss or any whatever kind of you want to word that. But they're they're not. To your point, like they're not, you know, packing up shop and, and you know, at the beginning of the third period when things don't go well, like they're battling right till the end. You know, they're trying to you get that get that last goal in with the with the empty net. Like they it looks different than previous versions of this team, which is unfortunate because that seems to be what this team is kind of being kind of uh compared to which isn't fair because you know most of them weren't part of previous iterations of this team that have not performed up to expectations or or even just not performed because there probably wasn't very many expectations but you know most of the team there's there's been turnover since you know the kind of bad performances against boston there's certainly nobody left from the you know the team that collapsed in, in in boston it, it's just it's shitty that you know that has to kind of hang over these this team because they look completely different and they look like they are playing with structure but yeah they 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 definitely ran into some hot goaltending you know pdo caught up to them a little bit it maybe exposed some of the things that were getting swept under the rug a little bit while they were outscoring their their problems but all in all not not too concerned about the skaters on the drama. <laughs> yeah, I,
0: I think, you know, I, I agree with you for the most part, pretty much all through the season, like every loss has, has been, you know, something that I couldn't really get too upset about. Th- those last two were kind of ugly. Like the, those were two of the worst, I think maybe yeah. the two worst of the season, uh, other than maybe that Ottawa one right at the start, like uh, Winnipeg and Ottawa and talking about the back to back there, Saturday, Sunday. Um, kind of had
2: that looking forward to summer break feel with the, with the break in the schedule coming up, hey?
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it,
1: but also like those two, those two goals, you know, yeah. backbreaker, like they're, they were digging out of a hole and Ottawa could just kind of throw up the trap for the rest of the game. And, and it wasn't like they, you know, didn't get their chances. It, it was just a shitty start.
0: Yeah. It's, um, it, it's hard to get too upset about it, but those were just kind of the first two games where, you know, every other time it was like, yeah, they, they lost or they didn't look great, but I didn't get any like, you know, uh, reminiscence of last season, you know, like yeah. it, it, it wasn't like, but but those last two games kind of ha- had some of that feel where it was just like, um, it, it was like you know they almost decided that they were winning at the start of the game, and it's like, how are we getting on Sports Center tonight <laughs> at times, and it's and it's um, we haven't seen much of that this season, but um, you know, it's, it's been pretty consistent efforts all the way through. And yeah, I think that's a good, you know, phrase. What did you, what did you say that, you know, last day before summer vacation like that, that is a little bit of the feel, especially when it's Ottawa. Right. But um, well, I
2: mean, they've lost five of six and they're still sitting atop the division. So like, how bad can it, it really be? Every team is going to slump and go through these little dark spells or whatever it, just the nature of the beast when you're you're talking about a league like the NHL and a game so random as hockey.
0: Yeah, and I mean you can't really get too far into this conversation about the recent performance without talking about the goaltending, right? Like we've we've spent plenty of time on it, but it's like the same old story here with Anderson just kind of not looking up to the task a lot of nights here and um I, I, I mean, I, I don't feel like any of us have anything <laughs> that hasn't already been said about Freddie, right? Yeah. It's, it's, you know, kind of and that's, I guess, the most disappointing thing about it.
2: that him. is the most disappointing thing because it's he hasn't done anything to change that narrative that started building with his subpar performance last year. So he definitely hasn't done anything like the, the question was always going to be how would this team and how would Anderson in particular, you know, handle another playoff run? Like, let's see them do it in the playoffs but he's done nothing so far this year, in my opinion, to to give any confidence that he, he's going to be able to figure it out once the playoffs roll around. He's just, he hasn't been good enough. I don't know how else to say it. And there's still people going to bat for him every night. And it's like, they're always looking for someone else to blame on the goal. But you just watch hockey breakdowns happen and goaltenders make saves. And Toronto's just not getting enough of them out of Anderson right now. I,
0: I, I guess the thing is, you know, it's with goaltenders, I guess in general, you know, um, every guy in the league is good, right? Like, and when, you know, you're, you're a fan and you're mostly watching your own team. Like it's, it's easy to focus in on, on when he's good, but looking at it from like a big picture perspective, like no one is taking Fred to, to win a game on any given night. Right. And it's, it's just gotten to the point where um, the, the faith in him, like the fan base is shaken very obviously, but like, you know, there's even, you can even see it a little bit in the team. And we talked about this before, like some of the some of the body language when, when you know, it's Fred and net versus Campbell and net. And, and it, not to get too far into like the weeds on it, but it's just, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what you, um, I, I don't know how you, you solve it this year because I, I don't think you can trade him and expect to get, better a better performance necessarily from you know who you get back or, or who you, you you go with in, in place of them but uh, it's just like how can you you know keep doing the same thing and expecting different results and and expect you know to win a playoff round like that's the biggest thing to me is like that Winnipeg series very clearly um you know that's a good team but they also have the best goaltender in that series if if it comes down to it in in the second round and that's that's who's getting to the final four uh, I don't like I don't like the goaltending matchup for us one bit
1: no and I think you make a good point too Cam, about with the fact that we kind of get tunnel visioned a bit on our own kind of goaltending performance and not realize that you know, it's a pretty random and up and down position across the league and, and all next to impossible to predict. But I mean, again, we've talked about this in the past. This isn't, this isn't just, these opinions aren't just coming from a stretch of, of up and down play this season. This started, you know, last year, or maybe it leaked into previous years, but he was a pretty consistent, good goaltender for the first few years he was here. And his play is flat out Gone off a cliff. it has not been good enough lately, and I mean, I've I've kind of been a bit of more of an apologist probably than you guys have been. But it's it's really because of just the fact that if you look around the league, there's other goaltenders that we would probably take right now with worse numbers than him. So it's a bit weird to to conceptualize it that way. But again, it's it's less about that and more about the fact that you know how many we're going to go into a playoff series worried about that you know, flick shot from the half wall that goes between his arm and his chest when they just dominated for 10 minutes. Like, that's the kind of stuff that is harder to quantify when you're just looking at, you know, save percentage and even even high danger save percentage and things like that. Like, those just backbreaker goals that he's prone to giving up. But I, you know, I, I think... Most people that will listen to this podcast are probably on Twitter and things like that. And and I do think that the hate has gotten a bit excessive where there's just people with the knives out at all times just waiting to to pounce. But he hasn't done anything to to, to quell that. So, I mean, you know, those people are going to continue to do that. But it's just it's it's weird to look at where things are at right now, because this is kind of what we talked about in, I think, our first episode is that that's a huge question mark coming into the season he hasn't done anything to to ease the the worry and then you have jack campbell who has been lights out but he's played three games so you're right we're not i don't think you're going to see an in-season move here i don't think that this is one of the trades that Dubas is working on right now this is the goaltending t- tandem or, or partnership or whatever fucking pair going into the playoffs and i think that there's a real chance that if Freddie continues to struggle that I don't know. I think he'll probably still get game one, but I I, I think Jack at least sees the net uh, in the playoffs if, if it continues. I this think way.
2: that Campbell is being presented with an opportunity once he's healthy to be the guy that starts game one. And I, I kind of threw that out as a bold prediction before the season started, because just to your point about how we entered the season with this as the main concern, I think... Goaltending was the the primary concern for most Leafs fans heading into this season, and it, it, it appears rightfully so. At least so far, uh, I think the the injury to Campbell has to be incredibly frustrating for for the management team and the coaching staff because getting a look at an extended look at what Campbell could provide in a larger sample size this season is kind of crucial to charting their path forward in the net like beyond this season so it's hard to let alone the playoffs it's hard to rely on Campbell shouldering that load going into next season without getting that sample size and I think that they're going to be invested in in getting him a really solid run of games once he is fully healthy again and I I think that the net's there for the taking with the way Anderson has played so far this season. And th- there's no longer a reason to handle him with kid gloves. We saw when Babcock was here, it, he was, Freddie was his guy and it was plain for everybody to see that Anderson was going to be the guy in the net almost every night. And th- th- there was nothing really that he could do to, to lose that spot. But, this is because the team was invested in him. They had signed him to a big contract. He was going to be their guy for a number of years. But that's coming to an end now. We're witnessing the end of the Frederick Anderson era in Toronto. I think one thing has definitely become clear. They cannot commit term and dollars to him beyond this season. Uh, like We're talking about whether we can even rely on him in the playoffs. Yet again, we're having this discussion. So I, I think his performance this year and his past performances in the playoffs that's made that painfully clear that it's time to move on at the end of this season and hopefully best case scenario I've said this countless times but best case scenario for the Leafs obviously is the guy that's signed for 1.6 million next season shows that he can handle at least half of that load
0: yeah I, I think um i think it's kind of like almost a done deal at this point right like uh, you know i i i don't know what what Fred would have had to do this season to earn a contract with the Leafs given their cap situation i don't think he could have done anything yeah
1: and and i just i he he's gonna get more money elsewhere
2: yeah to that point like even if he had gone out and had the season of his career and been a vesna finalist this season Long term, it still probably wouldn't be a prudent business decision for the Leafs to lock him up for term and dollars, no matter how good he would have looked this season. So I think the fact that he's been poor has just put the nail in the coffin, really.
0: Yeah. Both price and performance wise, none of it makes sense for the Leafs, I don't think. So, you know, the best you can hope for is that, you know, Freddie understands he's going to market and and plays like it down the stretch and has a nice playoff run for once and you know and that's maybe he goes out on a on a nice note and that's kind of the best i think you can hope for at this point
1: yeah and, and you talk to this because uh, i've heard some of the kind of knock knock or nay saying on campbell being like you know he's 29 years old and he's played like what like 60 career games or something in the league but what you said earlier nick about a team being invested in a starting goalie and there's nothing that they could do to lose their spot that's kind of the the definition of that is jonathan quick so like yeah he he wasn't ever going out of the net in in la so and i'm not saying that you know i don't profess to be an expert in watching los angeles kings hockey games at one in the morning so i don't have a ton of uh, you know eye test on this but it, it it doesn't kind of concern me that Campbell never stole the job from Quick because I don't know what he could have done to do that with a guy that's won the Cup and he's you know he became part of a core part of the team over there. So I, I I think that, yeah, having I don't think there's anything Fred could have done this season to get a contract because of the fact that they just wouldn't be able to afford him if he played well, and if he plays poorly, it doesn't make sense to sign a goalie that's shit the bed for three years in a row. Well,
2: to build off of that point just for a minute... When you have a guy like Anderson, where you've committed the term and dollars to, there really is nothing that another guy coming behind him could do to to wrestle that job away. Like we've seen how lackluster Anderson's play has has been for the better part of two seasons now, and, and he's still entered this year as very firmly the guy, right? So yeah. it, you're kind of limited in even being able to turn that position over when you've committed so much. Money and term to it in a in a long term contract, and, and with the volatility of the position, like you referenced earlier, from year to year, it, it just seems like the, the way hockey is going. Like outside of the the Vasilevskis and the Hellabucks, it, it's probably not safe to be investing those kind of contracts in goaltenders at this
1: point. I don't even know if I'd do it in Hellebuck. Like, I, I'm te- I'd i be terrified of signing a goaltender to a long-term contract right now, like anything over five or six years for significant money. Yeah. I mean, Hellebuck's good. Don't get me wrong, but, like, so is Babrowski, and now look at him. Like, I... Yep, I mean, what 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 did Hellebuck have coming into the into this series, like an eight ninety five save percentage up until that point? Yeah, the Leafs, of course, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's played fucking nuts.
3: Yeah,
1: I think he's like he's brought it up from a, from an eight nine five to a nine ten since the the first Leafs game. But yeah, I mean the, the, the there's no position in hockey more terrifying to me than signing somebody long term to than a, than a goaltender, unless it's like one of those you know four or five years at a dirt cheap cap cap hit, but. I would love to see, and I think I've been saying this all along, we've all been saying it all along, but like a Campbell and Vet at $1 million, you know, 1A, 1B tandem next year has always been the play and what would make the most sense, I think.
0: Yeah, um, you know, it's it, honestly, situationally, there, there's a little bit of um, a similarity I find to, uh, and I apologize for now making a reference to two of the Dallas Cowboys starting quarterbacks from the past season the deck Prescott situation in Dallas right where it's like okay we you know we have this guy um he's not one of the top top guys in the league but if we let him go like we're going to be hopping from
2: Andy Dalton to Andy Dalton <laughs> <laughs> to,
0: to, to, yeah. to toadstool to toadstool here looking for a, a new starting quarterback for for who knows how long and and with the Leafs it's kind of like it's the great unknown of you know obviously Fred hasn't gotten you over the hump but um, you know and you know that you don't want to pay big money for that performance but you also know how You know, variable goaltending performance is and you really don't want to piss away one of your next two or three years on a bad goaltending year, Um, you know, and not like I mean, obviously, like we're getting a bad goaltending year right now, but. I mean, like a guy who you just have no faith is is ever gonna you know get it together and and put together like even a nine ten for a stretch, right? Like if if Campbell goes south early in the season or, or you know shows some kind of a a, a, a real bad blip, and you, the guy that you got backing him up is also having an off year, like you could torch a season in a hurry that way, right? Oh yeah,
2: think about what it would have been like in the media had. Dubas actually pulled the trigger and moved Anderson last offseason. Came into this season, you know, with Stanley Cup aspirations and a, a great opportunity to win the division with a really strong roster. But they come in with Jack Campbell and veteran goalie X, and Campbell stumbles out of the gate or gets hurt like he did this season, and the guy you brought in d- doesn't get the job done either. Kyle Dubas would be taking so much more heat for Toronto's goaltending if that was the situation.
1: Yeah, if it was... Because we'd be sitting here right
2: now... But for some reason, the fact that he stayed with Anderson and is getting that... That was like the safe option of the two, right? So, I guess it's kind of like the process over results sort of thing and the the safe process was to stick with Freddie when no clear better option was presented in the offseason. But... It, it it hasn't
1: worked out well, yeah because you look around and like some of the names that were thrown around you've got you know Thomas Grice has got like an 883 save percentage this year so it's like yeah that we could have been you know if Campbell gets hurt it's now a Grice and Michael Hutchison pairing that that we're trotting out every night with a championship caliber roster so yeah it totally would have been a, a ballsy move to to move on from Freddie even though you know, maybe some of the signs are pointing to it.
2: Yeah, and kind of just to tie it all back to the beginning, basically, the Leafs kind of have to roll with what they've got right now and hope that one or both of the the guys that they have on the roster can perform down the stretch and into the playoffs. It's basically stick with what you've got right now and hope for the best. There really isn't an avenue to upgrading the position immediately, I don't
0: think. Yeah, and, and no market for Fred either, like, you know, yeah. it, it is you know. obviously, you're you're, you're you're as bad as he's been, it's, it's you know, the chance you had to take that you're going to get a better performance out of him than value you would get if, if you moved him based on the goalie market. Uh, Thomas Grace, bad save percentage, uh, is one thing he owns, also owns a helmet with Nazi insignias, so <laughs> double no-go on that guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and I mean, obviously, you know, during the skit, I think something that that's worth pointing out as well is Austin Matthews is clearly playing hurt uh, throughout. Yeah. Uh, he missed some time. He's got the wrist injury. He's been back in the lineup. They they're saying that he can heal while he plays, which I guess I. Don't see how. Kind of <laughs> seems like maybe
2: it's something that at, at this point it just isn't going to get better without a surgery. That like that's pure speculation or whatever. But
0: yeah, my, th- that's my that's it, when I hear um, it's something that can get better as you play. I hear uh, he's he's going to need surgery, so. You know, as well we're, we're going to put him through it and, and he, he's going to get it done in the, in the off season because we need him uh, even at 80% or 70% or whatever it is, because holy shit, he's still
2: effective when he's out there. <laughs> it, it, like, he'd have he, to, like change his entire game around in the offensive zone and on the
1: power play and stuff. And he's just like, okay, well I'll do it this way then. <laughs> well, yeah, He's got five points in his last five
3: games. It,
0: it, it's like LeBron James can completely like, uh, it, like he became like a dominant three point shooter in his like mid thirties. And it's like, he just whatever the team needs he can just do it and that's an inc- incredibly like crazy skill to have like in a pro league against other pro athletes right and the fact that he can just matthews can completely recondition himself and just play net front on the PP. Um, and, and I mean, it's not like he, you know, it's it's a hard thing to do, but it's just like he, he he's just, uh, he's so versatile in terms of, you know, how he can move around. But I, I will say, like, I, I feel like it's affected him, not just the shot is the clear, you know, thing that everyone notices, but – not seeing him, you know, as much of a cannonball in the defensive zone. Um, you know, he's still responsible, but obviously not quite as physical. Um I, I feel like you know, I haven't looked at numbers over the last little stretch here, but I feel like um it's it's probably coming through a little bit that that he's he's not 100%. He's,
2: it does look a little bit tentative, but like you said, even a, a 75% or 80% off some Matthews is better than a hundred percent of most guys.
0: So (laughs) first line center on almost every team.
2: Yeah. So So, first of all, props to Matthews for dealing with the pain and playing through it and trying to help his team in any way he can and adjusting his role and things like that. Uh, Just have to hope it isn't something that really impacts his uh, performance down the stretch and kind of limits
1: him into the playoffs as well. So much of what he does would be in his wrist, right? Like, off wins he was dominant at you're not going to see as many of those um the, he's just not shooting the puck as much the stick lifts in the defensive zone that he's so good at and winning those puck battles that's that's clearly putting strain on on something that's that's hampering them but ultimately he comes out of the last five games with five points so it, obviously the concern is the long-term effects of this but if if this is going to be one of those things where they announce that he's having surgery the, the day of the season's over I don't know. I'm not a a doctor, but I don't know how much long term damage that could do if if you're ultimately going to get it looked after and fixed with a surgery. But it's still kind of something that makes me a bit uneasy watching a guy, any guy, but especially a guy of his talent, go out there and play when they're clearly hurt just because of that, you know, back of your mind worrying about what that's going to look like down the road for him
0: i wonder if it's like especially jarring because of how good he was like scoring every night and just dominant all you know through the early stretch of the season it's like it's like watching the incredible hulk get fucking knocked unconscious right like you see you see him out and he muffs a wrist shot or or like fans on a pass and it's like he's not supposed to do that
1: well, I can't remember what game it was, but he came down. It must have been one of the Winnipeg games. He came down full head of steam with the puck in between the hash marks. Nobody in front of him and passed it to Muzzin. That was when I was like, okay, he he can't shoot right now. He just flat out can't shoot. Like, it's not even like it wouldn't be as good or as accurate. Like, he just is in too much pain to shoot the puck at, the, at this given moment. Like, there's no other feasible reason that he would look that shot off and Pass it to Muzzin, who was not expecting the pass either.
2: Yeah, and it's kind of crazy that, like, the guy with arguably the best shot in the game can't shoot the puck right now and is still finding a way to be productive. It's, it really is impressive.
0: It's impressive, and it's great that he's, you know, still able to contribute, but I'm scared shitless that, like, he's, he's going to mess up his wrist, uh, you know, and especially right now, like, The lead has faded a bit, but this is still to me, you know, for the conversation we've had so far, like we're not terribly worried here. This is still the best team in the North Division, even if, you know, they're not going to be number one with a bullet from here till the end of the season. Like, I still feel pretty good about them finishing first in the division or at least top two. And it's like, okay, maybe like maybe it does need a procedure and maybe, um, you know, he's he's not going to be 100 percent. The rest of the season until that gets done, but I I feel like I'd still like to see them rest him a bit, even if um, you know they've determined there's not a lot of um, you know risk. It's like need him for the playoffs, and the other concern is like if it doesn't, you know, get get to a certain point, right? Like if it's like this is this is the best you're going to get out of him for the rest of the season in playoffs how much easier does it become to shut down in a, in a playoff series? Um, yeah, well, because you know, all, all of a sudden his, his, his trick bag just has that, that much fewer, you know, uh, options.
2: Yeah. Well, I don't think that it, all the talk from Keith and the staff has been that this is something that he's not really going to do much more damage to. And it's just kind of a pain management thing. Honestly, like even with how, good of a shot this team has this season I don't think that if there were if their medical staff believed there was significant long-term risk I don't think Matthews would be playing at all I just don't think that they would risk you know n- never mind the the human side of it like the asset that he is to this team I don't think that they would put that in jeopardy long term if they thought that that there was a risk of that certainly not
1: when they have you know they're in first place they've got a pretty good buffer in the playoffs be different if they were scrap scrapping in clawing for their life but i think you know even with matthews not in the lineup for the rest of the year they'd probably still like you said can be a top one or two team so yeah you're 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 right this is it's just we're conditioned to expect the worst as these fans is all. Well. <laughs> yeah
0: yeah that's true enough um So we talked uh, some trade stuff on our last episode a month ago. That's obviously uh, advanced quite a bit now and we're coming up on the trade deadline and, um, you know, the, the talk has heated up. The Leafs have a, a nice stretch here where, you know, they're, they're not on the ice too much. And uh, people assume that, you know, especially with the way things are right now, um, the quarantine required coming into the North Division, uh, the Leafs might try to get something done a little early here on the trade front. And that's obviously upheld by, you know, the, the Muzzin deal a couple of years ago. Um you know, the, the, the Leafs have, have liked to kind of get their business done a few weeks ahead of the deadline uh, where possible. Whether that's possible or not this this year, we'll see. Um, but, you know, there are a lot of trade targets kind of floating around out there. We discussed a few of them on the last pod. Um, you know, I think we talked about uh, Kyle Palmieri. um might have talked about Michael Granlund. Um, you know, other names floating around out there right now. Rickard, Raquel... Tanner Pearson, Taylor Hall, uh, Nick Felino's out there, uh, Eric Stahl. Um, those, those are just some of the forward options. Any of those guys that kind of really stand out to either of you as a particular fit or a guy you, you'd kind of like to see in a, in a Leafs jersey?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's always fun to get a new player into the lineup, so I'm excited for it, but I really don't, like I'm back and forth on this all the time. I really am. Like I don't know if it is the top six winger thing that makes the most sense to have somebody that plays with Nylander and Tavares, or if it's the third line center role and can they afford to do more than one? You know, like I think that I would love to see like an Eric Stahl as the third line center. Um, especially if that, you know, corresponds with you know, if the if the move is to have Kerfoot play the wing, then you know, ha- having having Stahl as a third line center that can kind of move around in the lineup too, um, I think a Palmieri makes a lot of sense. I think he's a sneaky good, productive offensive forward that, you know, probably flies under the radar a little bit playing in, in New Jersey. But yeah, I mean, without kind of with trying to be realistic and, and not swinging for the fences, because I think like a Philip Forsberg would probably be like. The number one on my list that that I would would like to see in a Leafs jersey, but you know, like a, a Granlund and a stall, if you could make that work with with kind of retained salary and and if you're moving out Kerfoot as a part of that, because Granlund's gonna play in the top six, I'm. I think that that's probably kind of best case scenario, um, but I would totally be fine with one of the less sexy pickups, like a like a Paul
3: Mary.
2: For me, I think like you mentioned, Stahl—that's a guy that really interests me, just because I, I'm not really all that confident in in the Leafs center depth beyond Matthews and Tavares and the we, we just spent the last five minutes talking about Matthews lingering injury so that could force him out of the lineup at any point and then we're we're down to John Tavares and you could move Alex Kerfoot back over and then you've still got Pierre Engvall at 3c which I'd as well as he has played and he, he's kind of you know exceeded my expectations this year I still don't feel 100% comfortable going into the playoffs with him as a, the third-line center. I, I kind of took a little bit of heat a few months back on Twitter sort of saying that, you know, Alex Kerfoot's a fine player, but maybe just like stylistically he's not my type of third-line center. And it appears that it, he's not really Sheldon Keefe's type of third-line center either. The the fact that he's playing angball over him in that role, or at least has been recently, I, I think – it's become pretty clear that they view Kerfoot as more effective on the wing. Um, I think that Friedman kind of alluded to it a few weeks back that the Leafs might just go after the best forward they can get and adjust accordingly, especially if Kerfoot doesn't go the other way in the deal because you can kind of shift him around a little bit. But that third line center spot is really uh, where I'd like to see them kind of solidify the lineup and get a bit of an upgrade there. Whether it's an Eric Stahl or or someone else that there aren't really a ton of names out there for that role. Uh, I guess Gramlin could kind of play that as well, but I I think that outside of the third line center spot, I'd like to bring in someone with a bit more jam and speed in their game. you know, the the Leafs aren't quite the blazing lightning fast team that they were in years past. Uh, I think I mentioned him, maybe even on the last pod. But a guy like Miles Wood, uh, Palmieri's teammate in New Jersey, maybe a little cheaper to be had. Um, he's someone I would really like to inject into this lineup. He, you know, plays a fast game. He's physical. He, he just kind of, sort of that energy role that I think has been really lacking with Simmons out of the lineup. And and even when he returns, you know, putting all of that on one guy for the most part, I, I'd like to see an addition there.
0: Yeah, and, and I think with Kerfoot, um, you know, it, I, I agree on the stylistic thing. We've talked about that. Um, he's, you know, a solid player. I like him fine, but um, I think that the other thing working against him is the fact that, you know, if you're looking at a salary that you can move out and a guy who's, you know, maybe not... Um, going to really affect things if you kind of take him out and replace him with another piece he, he's the clear guy right like there's everyone else is you know making big bucks and a key part of the team or you know not making enough to kind of really make a dent right so um, it, it feels like if if you know they're getting ambitious and they're bringing in like a couple of forwards or like a top six forward and a top 4D like doesn't feel like Kerfoot's going to be able to stick around through that and, and to, to the point of you know um you you were kind of talking about like eric Stahl. i i like that idea i like i love the idea of Stahl, spezza and thornton all in the blue <laughs> and white first of all um it's like uh, i don't even know what would, would that'd be like the 2005 like world cup of hockey I'd ha- I, they must have all played for team canada on one roster or another um but i you know i like that idea and like even if it's like stall, and then you have kind of free curve foot up to play up and down the lineup on the wing, and then maybe it's a a, a guy like Eckholm or um, you know, there's been some talk about David Savard as far as like defensive targets possibly. Like those are a couple of mean bastards who you, you know you kind of have back there, and and you know, good penalty killers, obviously guys who can play a ton of minutes and that would just beef up your blue line so much by adding one of those guys. I mean, we, we saw it with Muzzin, right? How how much that imp- improved the blue line just by inserting him and pushing everyone down a, a slot. Y- you add one of those guys on top and that's deadly. Well,
2: it, like you said, it pushes everyone down a spot. And you can say the same thing about up front. If you get that, that top six winger, it kind of makes every spot on the roster below that a little bit better, right?
0: Yeah. And the, the obvious... Um, you know, problem with this is the cost, and obviously, it's part of that is the salary cap. You know, these guys make decent chunks of change, um, so there's going to be salary retained in almost any deal you do. So, not only are you paying for a, a prime asset, you're also going to be paying extra for the uh, retention. And you know, some of the prices that have been bandied about a bit rich for me. Yeah. Um, you know, I I don't know like where this is going to settle in, but um, I I I, th- I think that you know we, we are all comfortable with moving on from one of you know the the touted prospects to get the right guy, but you also ha- you have the added um, you know factor of the expansion draft coming up, and it's like how high a price do you want to pay to take a run at a guy who you know is going to help you in a year that you know obviously is is an important one for you, but. Um, do you really want to subtract a guy who maybe could help you in a year or two or three when you're still going to be competitive, right? It's not like yeah. this is the last kick at the can. This is not the Penguins with, you know, Crosby and Malkin kind of in the twilight years, right? This is – you do have to factor that in. And it's not like Dubas is on the hot seat and it, he's going to be out of a job like Jimmy Benning, right? He, it, It's not like he has to get something done to save his job either. So – how, how do you balance it?
2: Yeah, well, and like you said, the, not only are they going to be competitive after this season, or at least that's the plan, they're also going to be right up against the salary cap for the foreseeable future. So those young players like Robertson or Amirov or Sandine or, you know, go on down the list, those players that the Leafs could potentially insert into their lineup in the next year or two, they're extremely valuable, not only as trade assets, but they're valuable to the Leafs in the sense that they could be very cheap contributors for, for the next couple of years on a team that's going to be right up against it with the salary cap, at least if, until it
1: starts going up in three or four years, hopefully. I don't understand where some of these like, you know, rumored prices are coming from, where it's like, you know they got to trade. Uh, what did I? The, the one that I sent you guys today uh, from for the 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 ducks to get Raquel was like Robertson, Amirov, a third, and
0: and, and Kerfoot just to get yeah.
1: Ricard Raquel.
0: Just a, yeah. I,
2: just a disclaimer. I actually listened to that little segment off of that show. Uh, it was J D Bunkus is, is the the personality in question here that kind of fired that out there. Listening to it, he was kind of just spitballing the idea. It almost seemed like he said, you know, Robertson or Amirov. Right. I, I don't think it was something that he, he – like, it wasn't a really long, well-thought-out sort of uh, proposal. It kind of seemed like more of a spitballing thing. But, yeah, some of the some of the rumored prices out there are definitely pretty high. Well,
1: when you look at – like, I think it was like – like, last year or the year before when, when Nyquist got traded or something wasn't he like a second round pick or something like that second or third second and third maybe like that's the kind of like I don't think that these guys I guess the, the you know everybody goes back to like the Barkley Goodrow uh, Blake Coleman kind of trades and stuff but the Goodrow trade wasn't just Goodrow for a first like they got like there was a third round pick involved in that there was a prospect involved in that too that kind of offset some of the prices so like I don't I don't I don't know. I, I, it's hard to say. Like, I don't know what these guys, what what the value is in a pandemic season where nobody has any money and nobody has any cap space, and kind of the the does, does the quarantine affect the price at all? Like, I it, it might in the sense. And for how the many Leafs buyers too, are there Exactly. Because I don't. I think that one of the one of the things that's important to remember too is like the lease are going to try to get ahead of this, but like so all of the Canadian teams are going to try to get out ahead of this to maximize the amount of time that they get, but as an American team, like I know that the longer I go to the deadline, I might be able to hold out for a better price. So, you know, there, there's a lot of factors going on with this that I think are obviously weird just because of the circumstances that we're in, but just to kind of wrap up on acquisition price, I'm also totally cool with giving up prospects because of the faith that I have in this front front office that I wouldn't have had in years past to find good players in the second and third and fourth round um, and, and to make moves at the draft that if they did trade, uh, you know, top, Topi Niemela or Rony Hervinen, that they would be able to, you know, recoup guys of that ilk next year. Um, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not going to lose too much sleep at trading prospects. It would hurt to move like a Robinson or a Amirov, but everybody kind of has a price. But I, I wouldn't be too jazzed up to move one of them, you know, for a... Uh, uh, I don't know, like a Grandlin or something like that. Like, it, I'd like to, it to be a bigger splash if if those guys are moving.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. And um, earlier today, I was listening to a show, and Chris Johnson kind of indicated that the Leafs will be less incentivized to to pay those high prices the more time passes and the the less games that they're going to have these new acquisitions for beyond the deadline. So, it, with the limited number of teams that'll be willing to buy and and also that in mind it, you know picture a conversation between Kyle Dubas and David Poyle and maybe Poyle isn't getting the best offers right now for the guys that he he's offering up but if Dubas says okay well you know if you want to move Philip Forsberg with retained salary or what have you today I'm willing to put Nick Robertson on the table and this pick and yada yada but if you're not willing to move him right now I'm I'm not moving that package in two weeks. Yeah, it's, you know it's what a, I mean? It's, a, like, it's an incentive th- to, to do it now. Yeah. They're, yeah, like
0: an expiring deal.
2: Yeah. So Dubas kind of said as much yesterday, he would really like to get this done as soon as possible. But I think his exact quote was, it takes two to tango. So they are kind of still at the mercy of what other teams are, are working on right now. Also, and, these
1: players with no, the players with the no trade clauses, which a lot of these guys have, are probably not too jazzed about a 14-day quarantine in a hotel and you know even if you get a chance to go to a contender that's a that's a factor
2: yeah and i think it's been talked about a little bit specifically with a guy like eric Stahl, who's 36 years old now what does two weeks off do to him while he's quarantining and waiting to get back on the ice with his teammates you know that that's just another layer to the whole thing it's it's going to be perhaps the most interesting and most complicated lead up to a trade deadline we've ever seen.
0: Yeah, and and the more we talk about it, the more I'm almost, you know, not expecting to see a big move, Um, especially one, you know, that involves one of those top prospects, right? Because like, how how can you justify moving out potential, like really valuable future production for cheap on your, you know, like in your top nine, potentially with Robertson and Amirov? Um, How can you justify moving that out and you know get not getting back like um like like with the expansion draft coming up it's like you have to find that balance like i wouldn't want to move out like a robertson unless i'm getting a guy with turn back but then that's pushing someone else in the expansion draft right and like it all of this all of the the circumstances kind of come together to kind of make you think that there's not going to be too much crazy movement happening um but i mean you know, you made the point about the draft picks, Keith, and like I was kind of almost feeling the opposite way that like um, you know, obviously you, you could move these guys out and, and recoup them back later, but like later, you know, that might miss the window for for the guys that are here now. So like, you almost, I, I would almost rather just take whatever picks you want, yeah. but Let us keep the top prospects because you know. If, as long as Dubis Seems like he has a, If he has one second rounder And one fourth Going into yeah. a draft He's going to have Seven picks By the end of the weekend <laughs> So It's like Move the picks out And deal with that later And, and try to find the value Because you know You can do it um, And I mean There is obviously Something to be said For the fact that Like you get a guy Like Nick Robertson And all of a sudden He's valued like A first rounder yeah. Right And um, So so that's You know uh, Maybe makes you cautious to, to move picks But um, You know Like I say You are trying win now so that 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 valuable production is is yeah key. and
2: even a guy like keith mentioned like nimelo or hervin and you know best case scenario for for guys like that is you know what
1: three years away from from knocking yeah, on the that's door? why i brought those guys up yeah they're not in, they're not going to be those you know, guys i'm that's fine another thing yeah. i
2: kind of wanted to touch on it's a bit of a semantics thing but the the, the exact question and response that led to all this speculation about the prospects from Dubis's media availability was the question was Would you consider moving a top prospect? Of course, he's going yes. to consider <laughs> it. You, you know what I mean? Like, and the other thing is, how far down the the list does he consider it a top prospect? Are we talking about uh, a Philip Hollander? Are we talking about uh, Topi Nimala, or is he strictly? Referring to, the, you know, the Robertson and Amirov, Sandine Lilligren tier. One thing I, I, I feel
1: like it's three guys. It's, it's the first three that you just mentioned. Like, to me, when you say Leafs top prospect, it's those three guys. Yeah,
2: and that's the exact reason I was just going to say that I don't think it would be prudent to, to move Timothy Lilligren right now. I think, like, it, it feels like he's been around forever. He's still only, like, 21 years old. The, maybe that's the ultimate sell low. Yeah, and, and like the shine has worn off him a little bit, right, since his draft year. But I think he's still a really valuable prospect, and probably they wouldn't get like that commensurate value in return for for moving him. Like you said, kind of a sell low thing, just because he's not as shiny and new as Nick Robertson or Rasmus Sandin or Rodion Amirov but like i've watched a couple of his games with the marlies so far this year he looks ready man like and i was a guy that was really 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 down on Liljegren uh, uh, like a couple of years ago even and going into last season but he really showed some strides with the marlies last year and this year he he looks like he's he really is knocking on the door of being ready to kind of play games for the leafs
0: yeah i feel like um Generally speaking, hockey fans get spoiled by guys like Kale McCarr and Quinn Hughes who jump in and just like kick the shit out of the league like immediately and, and show so much promise. And that's like the expectation for a quote unquote top D prospect. But I mean, I've still got, you know, definitely some, uh, some hopes for, for Lilligren that he can be more than just a guy. Like, you know, I, I think that he's could really be solid so I you know I I think um you got to tread lightly in terms of you know who, who you're moving out and who you're expecting to get cheap production from uh, in the next few seasons
2: well speaking of expectations on the on the blue line uh, this is kind of a nice segue maybe to talk about a a recent move the Leafs yeah
0: I was just gonna say they they did make a trade not one that really ruffled too many feathers but uh Mikko Lettinen out to Columbus and uh, I'm not gonna take a shot at the name of the goaltender (laughs) we got in return I have not had the time to sit down with that one yet um (laughs) but I I mean it it sounds like um you know a, a solid move for the Leafs like you know he's he's a lottery ticket I guess more than anything but um you know, the, we've talked about the Lettinen situation. I mean, we spent more minutes on the Lettinen situation than Lettinen spent on the ice for the Leafs, <laughs> I would say, yeah. this year. Um, I mean, it, it wasn't going to happen. You know, he he probably got screwed by the situation a little bit. No training camp. Um, he had to come in and and, and contribute right away and, and not just contribute, but show he belonged on, you know, she one of to the top uh, clubs in the he league. He to steal a job, yeah. yeah. And it didn't happen, and and you know we're not too too shocked by that. I don't think, but um, you know we we kind of expected this could be coming.
2: Yeah, and I think like you said, they're just kind of doing a solid for letting in, you know, saving face a little bit too, maybe with you know potential future European free agents. If it doesn't work out, we'll do our best to give you a shot somewhere else. But in the in the process, they kind of added, like you said, a lottery ticket to a spot of or to a place on the organizational depth chart that needed it. Um, They've been kind of thin at goaltender since Aaron Dell was claimed earlier this season. And then an under discussed uh, factor here is that like with the injuries to Campbell and Anderson, the Leafs have been forced to keep uh, Joseph Wall up with the taxi squad. And sometimes even, you know, backing up Hutchison when the both other two goalies were out. So bringing in Vaney Vevalainen, I think that's how you say it. Bringing him in gives them an, another guy that, if they run into injuries again, he can be the guy that's on the taxi squad, so they can continue to have Wall in the net for the Marlies. If it, it turns out that you know he is the guy that they see as having the brighter future or the one they're more. Invested in developing out of the two, but it just kind of frees them up and gives them a little more flexibility and gets Joseph Wall out of that bit of purgatory he was. In. He just
1: didn't do anything to win a job. It's it's pretty simple. Like he he was. It, I don't think he was necessarily given the world's fairest shake, but I think that he was given something with the expectations that he would have to. You know, he like would have to earn the next shift, and he and he didn't do anything with the time that he had. He had a couple nice plays that kind of stood out, but he looked lost. 75% of the time he was on the ice and just, I don't know, not an NHL defenseman yet, but also again, back to conditioning myself for the worst. I fully expect him to score like 50 points <laughs> next year for, for Columbus. So we'll, we'll see what happens.
2: It's funny. I was looking through my uh, drafts on Twitter the other day, just going and deleting whatever was in there. And I had one the, the oldest draft I had was power play Miko Lettinen is not worth even strength Miko Lettinen. I guess that probably kind of sums up his tenure with the Leafs.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think, um, you know, at the start of the season, probably if you were to pull us on like who were the first two Leafs to earn a you know one way ticket out of town Lettinen and jimmy vc would have been high <laughs> on most people's ballot and uh, jimmy vc claimed by the vancouver canucks as well vindication he, he i mean you know what he um <laughs> he had a nice little spell there he was invisible for the first like 20 games of the season and then he had a few goals um and, and it seemed like he kind of was showing up a little bit more often there. Like I didn't go entire weeks forgetting that he was a part of the team. Well, it's kind of funny. Um, like he,
2: he was like the exact opposite of what I expected. I thought he was going to bang in some goals, be a complete liability defensively. And it was like the opposite. He was pretty decent defensively and I didn't mind him on the penalty kill, but he was like a ghost in the offensive end.
1: Yeah. Maybe that was a, maybe that was a result of that. Like, you know, he was told you got to be defensively responsible and as a result, kind of affected his offensive game, but yeah, there's, I don't, there's probably nobody on the team apart from maybe I, and I like Travis Boyd actually. So he, I probably would have been more upset, but yeah, if anybody was going to be lost to waivers from the forward group, I think VC is probably the one I would be the least concerned about for sure. I
0: I do wonder if it's going to show up at all in like team results, even a little bit. Um, You know, we kind of talked about it before that he was kind of like that, You know, kind of that perfect third guy on a line at times. Like, he he played a structured game. Like you said, Nick, he was, you know, defensively responsible. Uh, Like, I think his results generally were pretty good. He just wasn't very noticeable and, you know, didn't produce a lot outside of a little stretch there. So, um, uh, yeah, I I don't think we'll be missing him too, too much, especially because the Wayne Mm -hmm. train is back on the track baby or almost he doesn't sound like he's gonna get in against Calgary this weekend that um, was weird that was weird yeah
2: sounds like he wants to play Um, the medical staff is maybe still just kind of a little hesitant to get him back in there just yet but I don't think it's surprising to anybody that a guy like Simmons would be pushing to get in there before (laughs) the doctors think he's ready
1: yeah and that's actually something that I was thinking about earlier when we were talking about like trade deadline acquisitions and stuff is that like, I'm not entirely convinced that, you know, having Simmons come back and is and even just what you could get out of maybe out of like a Galchenyuk or Robertson isn't going to inject what you're looking for in the lineup without giving up any asp- like assets. I hate that kind of, not this isn't the same thing, but it's kind of like that own rental thing where you know you've got guys coming back into the lineup that just
2: hang on to your guy yeah yeah,
1: hang on to your guy and and not give up any assets and maybe simmons comes back in and finds that magic that he had before he got hurt and then all of a sudden there's your acquisition and he has the jam that you're looking for and you know i I wouldn't like stop that from, you or i wouldn't let that stop me from from picking somebody up but i think it's important to remember that He's coming back in now for the stretch, and he was a pretty important part of the team.
0: Yeah, and, and you know, you make the own rental point, Keith, and, like, I, I was going to mention it when we were talking about it earlier, but, like, I, I think that it, it almost helps to to keep the pressure a little bit off Dubas. Like, obviously, you know, we know how good this team is, you know, everyone's looking for him to make a big move, but you don't have, like, Boston-Tampa looming, right? Like, Tampa's, like, clearly the team. Yeah. Um, But I I don't feel like, you know, the Leafs need a guy to get them into the conversation with like five other teams this year. It's it's like the Leafs are as good as anyone, probably not Tampa once they get Kucherov back, but it feels like, you know, I, I... like their chances of, of competing against pretty much any any team right now and you know you don't have one of the one or two biggest threats in the entire league waiting for you in round one or two so uh, you know you, you, maybe the pressure isn't quite there to load up with big guns heading into um, playoffs
2: I guess we'll wait and see the, the clock's ticking
0: yeah who knows um, our luck they are going to pull the trigger tonight on something it's uh, Wednesday night um so we'll see might have something to talk about next podcast maybe this whole thing will be useless by morning um <laughs> jack campbell coming back soon too it looks like so that's obviously welcome news uh based on <laughs> to wrap
1: know, up the how show
0: much, <laughs> <laughs> how much time we've spent talking about fred in this pod and uh, through the entire life of this pod um couple other things before we sign off um some women's hockey stuff happening uh, of course you have the pwhpa they had some games recently and a couple of the american hubs they had uh in halifax where i am uh based um they had a camp for the world women's uh team canada had a, a camp recently started march uh some news on the world women's hockey championship we kind of had the the question previously. Um, it has been pushed by a month, so it's going to be happening May 6th to 16th. It was supposed to be in April, um, so it's been pushed, but it uh, looks like it's still going to go ahead. Just
2: glad it's happening. Hey, the
0: bubble's open. I can I can make my way down for that.
2: Yeah, yeah, new Atlantic bubble.
1: We're
0: back, baby. <laughs> so uh, we look forward to that in May. Um and the NWHL is also coming back to finish up their playoffs. We, you know, we hope that this might happen after the bubble got popped, um, but the, the Toronto Six will be back. They're the top seed. Uh, that begins March 26th, and uh, we're going to be back with another episode before then. So we'll talk a little bit more about that. Then um, Leafs, again, back-to-back back against the Flames this weekend. We're back at it fellas feels,
2: feels good nice to be back chatting with you fellas back in the saddle yeah go leafs go go leafs
3: go you say that the-